Chicagoans will get to elect new leaders this coming February. And until this week, Mayor Rahm Emanuel was the frontrunner, despite the fact that people either love the guy or hate him. They say your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. I'm living proof of that. I can rub people the wrong way or talk when I should listen. I own that. But I'm driven to make a difference. That's from a 2015 campaign ad, and most everyone expected to start seeing similar things in just a few short months, as Emanuel started spending his nearly $10 million war chest. Until Tuesday, when he called a last-minute press conference on the fifth floor of City Hall. Yeah, hope you had a good Labor Day. He clutched his wife Amy's hand as he dropped this bombshell. As much as I love this job and will always love this city and its residents, I've decided not to seek re-election. This has been the job of a lifetime, but it is not a job for a lifetime. This is On Background, the WBEZ politics podcast. I'm Becky Vivi. The news that Rahm Emanuel would not seek a third term in office set off an earthquake in a city with a strong, yet more and more fractured political bedrock. Everyone and their sister now seems to be exploring a run for Chicago mayor. And in a city used to mayors sticking around for a generation, things are about to get a little bit more democratic and a whole lot more nuts. But first, let's listen to my interview this week with Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. All right. You announced on Tuesday. (laughs) And here we are on Thursday. To shock of everyone, yes, that you are not seeking re-election. So are you planning to stay in Chicago? Of course. Are you thinking you're going to rent your house out again? No, we're not. That that is not happening again. No, we're staying in Chicago. We're Chicagoans. All right. This This is where we raised our kids. All right. So I'm curious if you could talk just a little bit more about why now. Well, uh, one is Amy and I had gotten to a certain point in our lives. We were empty nesters. You know we dropped Leigh and Alana off at uh, college, and Zach's about to leave to go to the West Coast. Um, and I had a, you ask a lot of your family. The last 16 years I went from Congress in 02, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairman in 04, Caucus Chair in 06, Chief of Staff in 08, and Mayor in 2011. And none of those tasks, would I would say, was there rose petals on the way. And uh, I had to be honest with people. They were, they were electing me for four years, not two, not 18 months, and not to just mail it in for the last year and a half. And I, just the last 16 years, that's a lot. The third term would be seeing through the universal full-day pre-K. This year kind of puts that down and there's no going back. I just met with Dr. Janice Jackson from CPS. That's locked and loaded. The other piece of it was the President Obama's uh, library. We secured last year the $175 million for infrastructure investment. Another piece of this would have been the airport. That got done. The uh, housing, which is not done, but um, you're going to see a lot of it in my budget, uh, is there. So big pieces, not everything. The consent decree is another piece of that. Now you have to execute it. So the big pieces I would be working on, in one way or another, the the mold is formed already. Um, And I always like a surprise. I'm a middle child, and you guys never saw that coming. 
No, that wasn't the reason. I'm just joking. What are you going to do with all the money in your campaign fund? Are you going to spend it on local aldermanic I'm gonna races? Get you another, I'm going to buy you another tape recorder or something like that. I, I don't, I'm going to give it, whoever wants it back, I'm going to give it back. But I am going to uh, make sure all the aldermen who, that have been supportive of my agenda, I'm going to continue to support them as they seek their re-election. Because I don't leave a friend on the field. If you are part of making tough decisions for Chicago's future, as I walk out this door, I'm going to make sure you know I stood by you even though I'm not running. I didn't forget what you did to help me push an agenda that pushed Chicago forward. And I plan on being, protecting you and supporting you as you seek your own re-election. I have an agenda to finish. I'm going to do two and a half years in eight and a half months. If you could pick three things to finish before you leave office in May, what are those top three priorities? I have a whole list, right? Okay, I got, well, let's go through it. I got this go. right there, man. Okay. okay. I got, I mean, I've now met with six department heads to go through their agenda, make sure what we're going to get done. The uh, biggest piece is the consent decree is a big piece, but the truth is to get back an honest discussion of what it's going to take so that the south and west side is really part of the city it has the beginnings of an economic investment, making progress each day in reducing gun violence, and I think we're doing that. There's ebbs and flows to that, but I know where the trend lines are. So I say on the big projects, one, picking an architect for the airport, Terminal 2. That's going to be a statement to who we are as people enter the city of Chicago. That will be their impression, and I wanted to speak to the world-class quality of this city. There's some company recruitments I'm working on. I'm waiting to hear from one literally now as you and I are sitting in here. Amazon? That's not the company. I won't do, I'm not that dumb of an interview. Uh, in November, I plan on finishing the bike and running path on the lakefront. There's other stuff on the river that I'll be presenting. The biggest thing I will open is these three uh, CHA housings with neighborhood that are being done by world-class architects. I want to reflect back a little bit on your previous two terms and I'm curious if you could pick <laughs> one of the following decisions that you would do over, sure. which one would it be? And I'm going to give you a list of three. Closing 50 schools in 2013, passing a litany of taxes all at once in 2015, or waiting to release the Laquan McDonald video which one would you do over and how well, would you do things differently? I, I'll go through those. Let me tell you what the one I would do over. That's not on that list. The one I would do over is we faced a huge financial challenge at CPS. But when I got here, I cut the, uh, to the 4% pay raise for teachers. We did it uh, unilaterally. There wasn't really a conversation and dialogue, and that was a mistake. Shouldn't have done it. And should have sat down with them and said, you got to be part of the solution. I don't think... I kind of said that they would never really want to do that, um, and we did it the wrong way. That was the beginning of, un of disrupting a relationship and a dialogue, and I own it. Nobody else. Would you say that's your biggest regret? Biggest, it's significant enough because it led to a series of things and challenges, et cetera. There's other regrets. Uh, I don't know, I, I'd have to think about, biggest has a, but it, I contributed to the acrimony. That's on me, I own it, and it was a mistake. Now, I'll go through all those. I'll go through all the three years, and I'll explain why I did what I did. On the 50 schools, decisions should have been made years before I got here, three, four, five at a time. They weren't. If I tried to do just 10, as some have advocated, and kind of did the same 50 but slower, 10 is not easier than 50, and the Springfield would have stopped you, and you never would have actually gotten done. So that was the calculation. 
on the 2015 taxes. If the pensions had not been stabilized, Chicago's financial picture would have gotten worse and it would have actually stopped the growth. I said always, our fiscal picture was not about straightening out our fiscal picture. It was about creating a foundation for economic growth. I always say this, I'm not pro-business and I'm not pro-labor. I'm pro-growth. So we methodically reduced the structural deficit, stabilized the pensions, while facilitating economic growth overall. Lastly, on the video, the policy of the city, pre my tenure, and every city across the United States, was to hold the videos to the trial process because it wasn't supposed to influence other people's testimony. When the judge made the ruling, we complied. Is it harder to be mayor? Is it harder to be a boss in Chicago these days? Certain parts, yes. Certain parts, no. People assume the mayor's all-powerful. The truth is, we probably have less power but more responsibility, and that's a hard thing. We're assumed to do things that we don't really have the toolbox to do. On the other hand, we do, um, Dick Simpson did this analysis, but you know, I've never lost a vote in seven and a half years, and we've actually not did it the old way in the sense of um, jobs and contracts, but other ways of relationships and other ways. But the other mayor may have uh, some challenges. And um, at least on my tenure, I think we've done pretty good getting money out of Washington and Springfield. So the question to the next mayor is, what are you going to do to get that? I have some fun one-word answer questions yeah, that I'm going to do now. <laughs> Rapid, right. rapid round. This is, the ra this is the rapid round, yes. Should I get more, should I lean forward for this? Sure. Okay. All right. Favorite public radio show or podcast? Favorite public radio or pod, wait, wait, don't tell me. All right. East coast or west coast? Oh, you can't do that. The kids are on different sides. Okay, you get two plead the fifths. There are ten. No, questions. no, no, no. Hold on. Uh, I'll, um, I, I would have, it was horrible. East coast. I'm not going to be a chicken crap. I'm going to say it. it's uh, East Coast. I went to Sarah Lawrence out there. Got it. All right. Chicago-style hot dog or deep dish pizza? Oh, Chicago-style weenie circle. All right. Running, biking, or swimming? How can you do that to it? I uh, know you like all three, so no, which one would you pick? Swimming and biking. It's swimming, biking, running in the order in which the try is done. Okay. Local politics or national politics? Local. Favorite Chicago band or performer? Oh, Wilco. Favorite place you held a press conference in the last seven years? That is really good. I got a favorite place I held a press conference. I would have to say the announcing uh, in uh, Block 37 down, the L station, there was supposed to be the L station. Oh, the O'Hare Express. What's going to yeah. happen with yeah, that? Is yeah, that yeah. going to get done? Yeah, no, you're doing the express. You're doing your rapid oh, ride. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that was like a cavernous. So it was like, you know, the beginnings of the pyramid system right down there. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be. But I, that's a great question. I'll have to go back through the list. That, through the archives? Yeah. One person you'll be happy to never have to see or deal with again. That's not. I'll do. I will answer that question on my way out. Please. That, because I have okay. eight. No, I'm not playing the fifth. I have eight months. I probably have to work with them, but I'm not. I won't do it again. All right. Favorite Chicago neighborhood. Well, um, you know, let me. Can I? I know those are great questions. Let me say one thing, because it actually relates to the. One of the. Uh, I said it the other day. I have been in this job. Um, all over the city. And I think if you looked at my schedule, you would see that in many parts of the day. In a single day, I'm in five different parts. And I've met, and Amy and I have met people that will be friends for a lifetime. Um, I love where we live, and I picked it, we picked that to raise our family. But every neighborhood 
has wonderful people with great character. And it's one of been an eye-opener uh, to me, a total eye-opener. Um, because sometimes the only way you see a neighborhood is through the TV and it really never captures it. incumbent is out of the race, the political landscape has changed significantly. It appears that everyone and their mother thinks they now have a shot at the most powerful office in Chicago. But as WBEZ's Claudia Morell explains, this is still Chicago, the city that don't want nobody, nobody sent. Chicago is a city of 77 very different community areas. From Chinatown to Westtown, from Humboldt Park to West Garfield Park, from Little Village to Ukrainian Village, from Inglewood to Hollywood Avenue, from Midway to O'Hare, from the Gold Coast to the Soul Coast of the South Shore. So it may seem odd that Chicago was home to the most powerful mayor in the country, or that his family watched over the city for almost half a century. That's because those two mayors, Richard J. and Richard M., mastered the art of pragmatic, old-school, boots-on-the-ground kind of politicking. Here in Chicago, there still is a last vestige of that type of precinct-oriented, ward-oriented organization politics. That's an old video clip of the most powerful alderman in Chicago, Ed Burke. He served under eight mayors and is talking to an out-of-town documentary crew. Much of the reason why Chicago still does have a uh, remnant, if you will, of a political organization is the fact that Richard J. Daley dominated the uh, scene here in Chicago as both the uh, mayor and the head of the party from 1953 when he became party chairman and then in 1955 when he was elected mayor until 1976 when he died. Chicago is also a city built on racial politics. So one big thing you need in this town is a coalition among those very segregated groups. A candidate's viability is measured on the extent of that network. One Chicago is enjoying outdoor meals and watching shows and attending Lollapalooza, while another one is being shot down, uh, filling up trauma centers, and preparing funeral arrangements. And of course, running costs money. And when there's no clear frontrunner, big money from labor or business groups, they kind of watch and wait before they back anybody. One real estate lobbyist likes to say, September is for jokers. That's because a lot can happen before the February election. Delmarie Cobb, a Southside political strategist, starts her checklist with the basic legal requirement of running. Many of the people who are already in the race will not be in the race uh, at the end because you've got to get 12,500 signatures. And even if a candidate collects the required number of signatures, they need an attorney on retainer and some money if anyone challenges them. And finally... You better have a loyal army of volunteers. Why? Because someone has to knock on the doors, man the polls, hand out the campaign materials, and staff the polls and pay the guy who has to make sure that they open on time with no shenanigans. In Chicago, to win outright in February, you need a majority. That's 50% of the vote plus one. And if no one gets that, the top two go head-to-head in April. Claudia Morell, WBZ.
joining me now to sort through what you just heard and help you understand how much the political grounds shook in Chicago this week is WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos. Hi, Dan. Good morning. So why do you think Mayor Rahm Emanuel called it quits now? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's really tough to be mayor. Uh, That might seem obvious, but I think it's tougher than it's been in at least a generation, certainly since the 80s. And I think uh, he has taken a lot of hits in his popularity. Uh, We can discuss whether it was self-inflicted, was a result of the way that he governed or the environment that we're in. But it's very difficult. I think his popularity was way down among African-American voters, particularly after the release of the Laquan McDonald video early in this, uh, his second and what would be his last term. And I think that uh, it would have been a really tough fight. And it seems that uh, he says his family was tired, uh, his wife particularly. Put yourself in his shoes for one second. This is a tough job. People are showing up on your front lawn. These are very visceral issues. I think he says he would have won. And it's hard to argue with that in the sense that despite you know, the, the hits that he's taken over the last seven and a half years, you have to say that the people that, who had assembled to challenge him, although they were many, I, I don't think there was any one that necessarily could knock him off in a one-on-one runoff. Uh, and he had certainly raised far more money than the rest of them combined. Mm-hmm. So I think... Uh, He just wasn't ready for another battle like that and for the battles that would ensue in his third term. With less political capital, it would have only become that much harder. Let's go back to 2011 when Rahm first became mayor. Tell me a little more about what the politics in Chicago was like at that time. Well, back in 2011, uh, or rather the fall of 2010, when Mayor Daley said he would not uh, seek re-election, having already broken the record for longevity of a mayor that, that his father held. Remind us how many terms he, he was in office. He was in his, I think, sixth term at that point. So he he uh, had been in office since 1989. Yeah, real so, dynasty. <laughs> right. And uh, so between his 22 years and his dad's, uh, what, 20, 21 years, uh, they had been in power for most of the second half of the last century and the whole beginning of this century And so you had a situation where you had one boss after another uh, for the last century, really, except for uh, that period in the 1980s of council wars when the white aldermen essentially were were mostly aligned against Harold Washington. And so you had a city which had a boss and Daly's popularity certainly had been dented. The the marks of the financial uh, issues that the city had were were starting to to, to appear on uh, his uh, political career as well. And I think the the full extent of the problem has only become more evident uh, since Rahm took over for Daly. But that was a time when it looked like um, the city might be up for grabs again for the first time since the 80s. And Rahm won pretty easily. And he had a pretty uh, high profile, having been a member of Congress for a while in leadership in Washington and before that uh, serving uh, in the White House uh, for Bill Clinton and then later on as chief of staff to Barack Obama. So, you know, pretty high profile guy, but I think uh, all of that did not really prepare him entirely for what came next. So this was his first time as an executive. Right. How do you think he handled it? Well, I think the record is decidedly mixed. Uh, I mean, he is a, a guy who, 
you know, was mostly behind the scenes for most of his career and I think was comfortable there and probably most comfortable there. Uh, then he was a legislator, of course, but that had a lot to do with wheeling and dealing in the background. And mm-hmm. being out there, you know, I don't know that he had the best personality. Uh, I don't know that he was the best retail politician by any stretch, uh, certainly not compared to his mentors um, or his bosses, I should say, in Obama and Bill Clinton. Uh, and that's a high bar, of course, and, and most any politician might fail uh, as a retail politician compared to those two uh, but having said that, I think Rom, you know, is is a combative guy, and he came in. You remember the you know cuss word that he said to the teachers union president Karen Lewis. Yeah, he dropped an f bomb on her. You know, publicly he wasn't right. He <laughs> yeah. dropped an f bomb on her, and and well, I so think they say. punched her in the in the shoulder too. <laughs> and I think he might have thought he was being playful, but you know, just a combative guy. Even in my experience, certainly with the media, very combative. Um, and uh, there's always a game of give and take with him and his administration, but he's a guy that would get in the trenches and argue, you know, on background with reporters in many cases. Uh, my feeling, uh, getting to know him better when he ran in 2010, uh, really seeing him for the first time out there, uh, was that Rahm Emanuel is a guy that, with, with me at least, uh, either tried to flatter me or bully me. And neither one of those approaches works, frankly, with me. Uh, You may know that. (laughs) Yes, yes. But but he's a guy who would say, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to flatter you and you're going to write things my way. Or he would, you know, act like a tough guy. If you didn't happen to see the Wall Street Journal about the state of Illinois, I highly recommend it. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to draw this conclusion or this line for you. I know you're, you're, you're bouncing around on your chair like you're me, man. Just take the decap. Denial, in my view, is a river in Egypt. You'll get that in a second. One time we interviewed him during that 2011 campaign, and afterward I stepped out into an elevator with him as he was leaving, and he said to me, you know what it's like to be interviewed by you? I was like, no. Said, Have you ever read Ann Applebaum's Gulag? And I'm thinking to myself, where are we going with this? You know, a, a gulag is a Soviet prison camp. Right. And he said, well, read that book. You should read it. That's what it's like being interviewed by you. And he gave me a smirk. And, you know, I could see him probably telling, you know, his brother Ari, hey, man, you know, this is how I told someone off by, you know, telling them that they treat me like uh, they're a Soviet death camp uh, guard. Right. Like, and man, you know, isn't that a little bit much? There are a lot of these stories about Rahm Emanuel behind the scenes, even before he became mayor. How is he different than past mayors here in Chicago? I mean, we we know you mentioned we've had the Daily Dynasty for so long. There were some others in there. And I'm just wondering, how does Rahm stack up in the sort of history of Chicago mayors and if it's too soon to tell, maybe it's too soon to tell, but I'm curious your thoughts. Well, I think he's less of a boss than any mayor of recent memory, uh, maybe even of the last uh, century, than, than anybody except for maybe the, the short-lived tenure of Mike Bolandic and then, you know, that, that chaotic period with Jane Byrne and, and Harold Washington. I think uh, he's a guy who's had difficulty imposing uh, his will, although he still had a majority of the city council. He didn't have really a rubber stamp. Daly had a lot of his budgets passed 50 to nothing. You know, he had enough money to spread around to win over everybody's support. 
And there were years and years where Daly's budgets were approved 50 to nothing. And you know that it's been much more of a give and take. And, you know, there's a whole progressive uh, block uh, that's really uh, an opposition block in many cases uh, on many issues. And then, of course, um, you know, he's had some labor strife, although just one strike, uh, truth be told. A lot of labor groups, you know, have come over to his side during the course of his uh, seven and a half years in office. Very few of them were with him in the first campaign, I think. The Teamsters and right. and a handful of other groups were with him in the first campaign. And he'll never win over, obviously, the, the Chicago, Chicago Teachers, Teachers Union, Union, which celebrated its own role in uh, the resistance here in Chicago and in bringing down Rahm Emanuel. Right. And they were a part of his second reelection in challenging. They put up Jesus Chuy Garcia. That went into a runoff. First runoff ever. Yeah. First runoff ever. Getting elected to a second term obviously wasn't easy for the mayor. Why do you think it was so hard? Was it just the Chicago Teachers Union and the fact that he had closed all those schools? Or were there other factors at play? Yeah, I think it's a combination of what I called self-inflicted wounds, you know, his governing style uh, and his, you know, deficiencies as a politician, together with the environment. To be fair to him, it's a very difficult time to be mayor. He inherited huge budget problems. They are still huge financial problems, particularly with pensions. And there wasn't just the money to please everyone uh, the way that Daly had uh, the opportunity to do it. And he inherited really a bad situation, which he often alluded to without naming Daly by name, but everybody knew who he was talking about. I think that he inherited a very, very difficult uh, situation, uh, to be fair to him. You tweeted something the other day about the promises he made when he ran when he ran both in his first term and in his second term, talked about safer streets, stronger schools, stable finances. I want to go down that list and break down how he did. How do you think he did? Let's start with finances. Yeah, I think that's the most important issue, really, although you know, nobody would go out there and say that it's much more interesting and uh, more effective for politicians to talk about uh, flesh and blood issues like uh, crime and uh, schools. But, you know, he, he did make some cuts, you know, and, and he caught a lot of flack for a lot of the things that he did cut, such as the mental health clinics uh, and the teacher salaries effectively at one point mm-hmm. uh, and did uh, raise taxes tremendously. The, the deficits are smaller, but a lot of the big problems uh, still loom. But, you know, he made some efforts uh, in that area. And I, so I think that's a mixed bag. Uh, the financial issues, um, you know, now moving on to, to, to schools. schools. How wow. about schools? I mean, I mean, I have a lot to say, but <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts. Sure. I mean, don't you think that his legacy is forever tainted by just who he picked yeah. as a CPS CEO? So here, here in Chicago, although we have a school board like other towns uh, and cities around the country, they're handpicked by the mayor since the 1990s. Uh, mayor Daley wanted to take control and the mayor's office still has control. Yep. He's appointed everyone. And he picks the CPS CEO. Two of them in a row went down in corruption scandals. One is in prison right now in Barbara Bird Bennett. And the other one uh, was let go and forced Claypool or he quit, whatever you want to say. But that was right after the inspector general prompted by, uh, you know, our reporting in the Chicago Sun-Times back when I worked there, you know, called for uh, forced Claypool to be fired. And... That, I think, is is one huge issue that will always loom over his legacy on education as well as the strike right. in 2012. Right. 
which uh, did not last very long, but was something where I think the public was not on his side and uh, he had to, um, I don't know if he would say he folded, but. Yeah, I mean, he certainly spent a decent amount of political capital on that. And he said to me this week that, you know, he essentially regrets taking away the teacher's 4% raise in his first year in office, which was something that really, I think, created all of the anger and animosity between those two and led to a giant fight, which, you know, it was going to be a fight anyway, but it became an even bigger fight to get his longer school day passed. And then, you know, the teachers went out on strike because he was asking for all of these concessions and all of these things, but not actually signing a, a, a fair contract with them and ended up doing something to get them off the picket line. But then that following year, you know, he closed 50 schools, which angered tons of neighborhoods. And I think a lot of people think he'll be remembered for that. He came he, in like a bulldozer. He you did. Know, the longer school day, uh, the longer school year, right? And then you have uh, also the, the strike then, the 4%. Uh, very, very interesting that he regrets that. Maybe his political people and he himself, uh, because he is really at heart a political operative, maybe they overestimated uh, the fact that, you know, people do empathize a lot with teachers and with a lot of public employees, Mm -hmm. uh, for that matter. Um, Finally, I want to talk about safer streets. What do you think he's done when it comes – how do you think he's done when it comes to safety, public safety, and particularly the Chicago Police Department? Well, there have been some very bloody years uh, in the past seven and a half years. And there was a very bloody weekend a short uh, time ago, earlier this summer. And so I think the crime continues to be a major issue, continues to be a city that has far more homicides and other violent crimes than the other biggest cities in the country than, you know, I think New York and Los Angeles, certainly. And uh, I think that that's ultimately going to continue to be an issue which will will mark his legacy. But really the major issue when we look back at the manual years and policing is the relationship between the public and the police department, where I think for many years he, like others before him, tried to walk a line. But that chasm has become so great since the Laquan McDonald video was reluctantly and belatedly released by his administration. And now, you know, he's trying to go into a consent decree uh, with um, after that federal civil rights investigation, found all sorts of problems that had been apparent for, for decades, really, and certainly for years. So I think that on these issues, it's probably no coincidence that he, uh, although it might not be the main factor or even a major factor, I think it's no coincidence that he announced he would not seek another term on the eve of the trial of the officer who shot Laquan McDonald right. 16 times. And that video, I think, is a watershed moment in Chicago politics. I think that'll always be a huge, huge part of the Rahm Emanuel story. Right. If you're interested in learning more about that, subscribe to WBEZ's 16 Shots. It's a collaboration between our colleagues here at WBEZ and the Chicago Tribune. Dan, Rahm Emanuel has repeatedly said he's not running for president and that he doesn't have any bigger political ambitions. Do you think he's really done? Do I think he's done running for office? Probably. Uh, I mean, what do you run for after Chicago mayor? I don't know of anyone who was the last person that ran for something after being Chicago mayor. Uh, I mean, I think he's not done, though, 
by any stretch. He's a young man, really, 58 years old, and he's in good shape, I think. He's it seems like he's at the East Bank Club every morning before mm -hmm. most of us are awake. Uh, and so he's a vigorous uh, individual. We've all seen him in the uh, triathlon. And so I think that his interest in politics will never wane, and he might continue to, to wield some influence, unlike other former mayors. Uh, behind the scenes, I could see him going back to being something of an operator, not, you know, not working for any campaign, but he has a Rolodex and the ability to call a lot of big money people. Just look at where he raised money right. over these last eight years. Uh, obviously, his brother being a mega agent in Beverly Hills uh, is someone that uh, he tapped his list of, uh, of clients mm -hmm. in many cases. Uh, so I think that Rahm Emanuel... I, he's a political animal. He's got other acts in him. Yeah. yeah. In the political game. Do you think that his style of politics matches with today's current climate, both in Chicago and nationally. In 2018, politics is, you know, it's a different game. It's very polarized, right? That's what you hear all the time. And I think Rahm Emanuel is the only person I can think of, well, one of the few who's equally hated by both the Fraternal Order of Police and Black Lives Matter. Right. <laughs> uh, he's hated by uh, right-wing uh, Trump supporters and by the Chicago Teachers Union and other people on the left, uh, almost equally. And so I think he, he's kind of, uh, you know, Malcolm in the middle here. He is a centrist at heart. I don't think he is an ideologue. He wants to win elections. And I think that uh, he is, is deeply, deeply despised by those who think that he's a Dino, a, you know, a Democrat in name only. Mm -hmm. The race for mayor was pretty chaotic with all of the people wanting to challenge him, but it just got a whole lot more chaotic. Um, the Chicago Sun-Times ran a front page this week with dozens of headshots of people who are considering a run. It's almost like you have to ask people if they're not running at this point, which, by the way, you're not running, right? I can't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not running either. What are you hearing among your sources? Who's jumping in? Who's considering also bowing out? Yeah, although we're not running for office, Becky, somebody said that the North Lion of the two lions that flank the entrance to the Art Institute has declared that it is mauling a campaign. Oh, really? Oh. That's the North Lion, not the, the North, South not Lion. The South. There's okay. two of them. Okay. Well, maybe uh, the South will have to get in the race, too. Yeah, Ch Chicago Party Ant is running, too. I know. Yeah. My husband said it might be the, the first Chicago vote he casts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I think Chicago Party Ant might be, remember the, uh, she said she'd get rid of the, the parking meters, so. Well, yeah, get rid of all, she can't. Can't actually, but um, Chicago party <laughs> and, uh, might that. be that. Remember at Rahm Emanuel, yes. the the, the um, account Dan that Sinker. Dan Sinker turned. I have it that was book. anonymous during the campaign, but right, they made a book out of it. Rahm went to the book party. Uh, Rahm really hammed it up with that account, that, that very profane uh, account that it was it was a parody account of Rahm Emanuel as he ran for mayor for the first mm -hmm. time. I think Chicago Party Ant might be uh, the at Rahm Emanuel of the 2019 mayoral race. But, you know, having said all that, yeah, it, it does seem like chaos. It does seem like the city is up for grabs when the fifth floor has a vacancy. And it seems like it's uh, becoming more common. It's only been eight years since the last time. And it had been in decades before that. But um, I think that uh, the field could be cleared by one candidate if she decides to run. 
Oh, you do. Okay, I, I think if that. Tony Preckwinkle, the Cook County Board President, decides to run, she might be able to unite these factions of the Democratic Party. She's a Cook County Democratic Party chair. Uh, she, I think, can unite both the establishment, as her party title suggests, she's very in with the the party establishment and the party machine, or what's left of it. But she also has progressive chops and uh, a lot of popularity. Uh, I think she can have a, a crossover appeal from that famous launching pad of, uh, you know, the fourth ward, Hyde Park and Kenwood gave us President Obama right. and uh, many other politicians who have uh, have thrived beyond uh, that uh, constituency. It's, it's a diverse part of the city. And I think uh, it's been really uh, a spawning ground for, for politicians who have succeeded beyond that area at a a city, county, and even national level. You know, having said all that, uh, she hasn't decided yet, but we hear that she's going to announce an exploratory committee as soon as Monday. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll be watching this very closely. Thanks so much, Dan. My pleasure. That's all for this week's episode of On Background, the WBEZ Politics Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe, and download in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at wbez.org slash politics and always on air at 91.5 FM. You know, in Chicago, there used to be this tradition of throwing bricks through your own campaign window and then calling in the, uh, in the newspapers and saying, they're still doing dirty that. Dirty tactics. <laughs> Democrats are still you doing that. When he said laws are like sausages, better not to see them being made. Oh, this is difficult. Why? Because the politics ain't pretty. That's why.